Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. I want to tell you a story, and I need to warn you that it's not going to be initially the most edifying story you've ever heard by far, Um, but it is the backdrop to something that's going to be debated in Congress in the next months, and I want you to know it. I want you to hear uh, what happened. I have a friend whose name is Brooks Douglas. It's, uh, in case you decide to Google it, it's spelled with two S's at the end, Douglas. And uh, you may have heard this story. It's been on Oprah. It's been on The View. It's been on Dateline. It's, uh, it's been actually the subject of a movie, but very few people know it. Uh, Brooks Douglas was one of two children in the Douglas family. Uh, his father, Richard Douglas, was a Baptist pastor in the Oklahoma area. And uh, they were family uh, who had served as missionaries in, um, in Brazil, returned and were pastoring around Oklahoma City. And here's what happened. On October 17th, 1979, the family was preparing dinner and Brooks, who was about 16 at the time, my friend uh, now at the time about 16 years old, uh, heard a knock at the door and went to the door and two men were standing there. And they asked if they could use the phone. So uh, they followed Brooks into the house. He went, uh, you know, as he was used to do as a pastor's son, having a lot of people in the home, people coming for help. Uh, He went, got them the phone. And as soon as he turned around with the phone in his hand, uh, he realized these men had a shotgun. And uh, they uh, decided they were on a bit of a rampage. They had already uh, been at another home, had tied some people up and put, uh, put them in a closet and robbed them. Uh, Brooks, his sister, his father, and uh, his mother were all there at the, at the Douglas home uh, when these men walked in. They tied up three of them, the mother, the father, and Brooks, took the 12-year-old sister upstairs and did unspeakable things to her, you can, you can imagine, uh, raped her repeatedly and other things, um, and then came downstairs uh, ate the family's dinner while the while Richard and Marilyn, the mother and the father, and then my friend again, uh, Brooks, were tied up on the living room floor. So these two uh, men, uh, last name of Hatch and Ake, uh, ate the family's dinner, and then they shot the three uh, who were laying on the floor. Shot and killed the father, shot and killed the mother, uh, and shot but did not kill Brooks, whose name at the time, uh, he went by Richard Jr. at the time. The men left thinking that uh, they were all killed. In fact, they shot the, the, the daughter too, the, the, the woman, girl they had raped, the 12-year-old they had raped. Uh, so all the family shot. The men assume the two children have been killed. The men then leave. They go on. They go to another man's house. They kill still more people. They go on more of a rampage. Uh, before it's all over, they have attempted to kill a half a dozen people. Uh Brooks gets free. He and his he and his uh, sister get get free and uh, get themselves into a car out in the yard and get to help and eventually end up in the hospital. And both of them survive. Uh, the men uh, are on uh, the lamb, as they say. They're fugitives for weeks. Finally, are captured uh, almost six weeks later. And you. First of all, it's a horrible story all by itself. I mean, just if it had just stopped there, that uh, that itself is horrible. And I'm so delighted that uh, Brooks and his sister Leslie survived and have 
you know, are, and now, of course, uh, while they were 12 and 16 at the time it happened, now they are uh, obviously much older and are, are doing fine. But at the time, you would not believe what they had to go through because there were not laws in place that guaranteed victims' rights. While the two kids were in the hospital recovering, uh, many of the household goods and the house itself were sold uh, to, um, to raise money to pay their medical bills. Um, they appeared in court and testified. Now imagine, this, imagine Leslie having to give testimony about being raped as a 12-year-old. Um, and the men were found guilty, but that was just the beginning of it. Uh, Brooks and his sister Leslie had to go back into court nine times to give testimony. Because while one of the men was found guilty and eventually executed, the other man was found to have mental problems. And so he sat in jail and had his defenders, uh, his lawyers, file lawsuits, file appeals that drug Richard, I'm sorry, Brooks and Merrill, uh, Leslie back into the courts nine times to recount the horrors that they had endured. And then once the man was found guilty, once the legal side of it was over, uh, then every two years after a certain point, uh, the man would come up for parole. And so Brooks would have to go back to the federal pen and talk to the parole board and make a case uh, for this man staying in prison. Now, there are so many other facets to this, you wouldn't believe it. For example, there was no law on the books that guaranteed that the victims had the right to testify uh, at a parole board hearing. There was no law on the books that guaranteed that the judge had to consider certain aspects of what the victims had endured. I could go on and on and on and on. Well, thank God, eventually Brooks ran for the uh, Oklahoma State Senate and uh, was instrumental in passing several dozen laws that guaranteed victims' rights, uh, including uh, an amendment to the Oklahoma Constitution that had to do with victims' rights. He's a real hero in this cause. Now, uh, based on that amendment in Oklahoma, that amendment to the Oklahoma Constitution, uh, the U.S. Congress is considering a constitutional amendment that guarantees victims' rights. And I, I urge you to get up to speed on this, uh, especially those of you who listen to this who are in Congress and will, or, or, or staffers, congressional staffers and so on, uh, because th- this has been an absolute revolution. Brooks Douglas really is a hero uh, in American law. He, he, by the way, is a lawyer. He got an MPA, a Master's of Public Administration from Harvard after he got his law degree. Uh, he did tremendous things in the Oklahoma State Legislature. And now, of course, as I've said, uh, there's some federal action, some congressional action that's going to be based on this. Um, but we absolutely need guarantee of victims' rights. We need for the people who have been convicted of crimes not to have greater rights than those who are sitting in prison. I think when a lot of people, particularly on the conservative side of the political line, hear victims' rights, uh, they start kind of groaning and think, oh, here we go, more complaining, more whining. But when you've got two kids who have been shot and raped, and they are trying to rebuild their lives, and they are just tormented uh, by the lack of protection by the courts, number one, and by the rights granted to the convicted, number two, to keep this thing stirred up for decades. 
you begin to realize that there's some need to address this. I'll mention briefly, by the way, that I have a lot of Jewish listeners, a lot of Christian listeners who look to uh, the law of Scripture for guidance. And I'll tell you that um, when you read the Old Testament law, uh, when you read the case law, the biblical case law, you begin to find uh, that it's the victims that the law is most concerned about. What, what would happen? Uh, if someone was harmed in your yard? What would happen um, if you uh, accidentally ran into a pregnant woman and caused her her trouble in her pregnancy? You'd have to make restitution. You'd have to pay the bills. You'd have to pay five times or 10 times or, or, pay, or whatever it was that they lost, or you'd have to care for them for a certain number of years. The biblical principles of law usually rotate around the offender having to make restitution to the offended. Our laws today are oriented towards punishment of the offender and almost nothing for the victim. So I urge you to consider the case of Brooks Douglas. I urge you to think about this from a biblical perspective for those of you who are uh, you know, oriented to thinking about public policy issues from a uh, biblical or religious perspective. And I urge for you to consider that a great deal of poverty uh, is generated, a great deal of loss of property and loss of wealth is generated in this country through crime, uh, with, which is not addressed in any fa- uh, fashion related to restitution. And this was the biblical way of dealing with things. When you hear the story of Brooks Douglas and his sister Leslie, uh, you're going to be stunned. You can go on YouTube now and look them up. You can also look up the episodes on The View and on Dateline. Uh, And then there's a movie called Heaven's Rain, which tells a little bit of the story. There'll be a book coming out in the next year or two uh, that will tell it more fully. But I urge you to consider that victims' rights is a righteous cause. Victims' rights is a necessary cause, and it transcends the politics of left and right. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox Cable News and CNN, and a blogger for the Huffington Post. His groundbreaking books on faith and American politics include The Faith of George W. Bush, the faith of Barack Obama, and the upcoming The Mormonization of America. You can learn more about Stephen at www.mansfieldgroup.com or connect with him on Facebook and on Twitter under the name Mansfield Writes. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is produced by Isaac Darnell for Chartwell Literary Group. Thank you.